Uh, all right, welcome to the Average GI Joe podcast. My next guest is my my friend Oscar Vera. Uh, we met on the U.S. Donald Cook. Uh, usually, I like to tell like a story about my friends, but I got another podcast I'm working on that involves like getting crew members or division mates or whatever together to tell sea stories. The story I want to tell, I'm going to save it for. I'm sure you'll be a, a guest soon and we could talk about other stuff but i think you know the story and it's the story we always tell whenever we get together and it involves white pants and a muddy field (laughs) (laughs) so we'll save that for another day um but let me introduce my guest oscar vera hey oscar how you doing hey adam what's up man appreciate you uh doing this and uh inviting me on your show man i'm super proud of you what you're doing man and just uh you know, giving us veterans a uh, chance to, you know, hear our stories and, you know, hear our the stories as well, because like, um, like every generation has, has their, what do I, how do I want to put it, the conflicts and wars. And like, I guess this can be also like just recording our stories during, during our time, during this, this, how the world is going on today. But before we get started, I keep meaning to ask people, but I always forget, like, how much do you, does your family, yeah, how about your family, how much do your family know about your military history and what you've been through, your experiences? Uh, honestly, uh, a little, you know, um, I kept my parents informed once I was in. Uh, I would call, you know, regularly back home and talk to my parents. My dad would always ask the same questions, like yeah. what my rank was, where I'm at type of stuff. Um, so they, they know a little. Like the basic stuff, they don't really, uh, I'm assuming they're like my my mother. She doesn't really know what to ask. She just accepts what I tell her. Yeah, same here. And it's funny too, because like they know I'm in the Navy, but my daddy will say, well, how's the Army? You know what I'm saying? I'll get that all the time. I'm like, oh, dad, really? I'm in the Navy. You know that, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, it's just one of those things. Man. Our, like very little. Real quick. Uh, so you're my first guest that has did the whole career and you retired from the military correct correct yeah how many how many years years total uh 20 years three months and like 14 days awesome and uh really quick uh tell us what you did in the navy and maybe some of like your your ships that you were on all right well in the navy i was an operations specialist uh chief uh, pretty much, I worked in the uh, Combat Information Center, just work everything with uh, communications, anything dealing with all warfare areas, navigation, really interesting job. Um, so, yeah, that was kind of what I did in my career. What was the second part? Uh, like some of your sea stations. Oh, so my uh, duty stations, I was actually stationed out in Hawaii. My first ship was a Sprue Can. It was a USS Fletcher DD-992. Then from that, I went to FactsFact Pearl Harbor, Hawaii, over on Fort Island. So I did about seven years in Hawaii. And that's when I came over in 2005 and met the Donald Cook on deployment in 2005. Uh, The Mitcher, DDG-57, the Normandy CG-60, I believe. And then I retired uh, from a float training group in Norfolk. So, man, I could, like, I have, like, a bunch of things going off in my head that I want to talk to you about just because you have so much experience. But I'm going to try to stick to my um, plan here. (laughs) All right, all right. Um, So, for most people... Uh, when you start thinking about the Navy, your, your decision making, it begins in high school. Was that about the time you were doing? Uh, so interestingly enough, I was actually supposed to join the Marines. Mm-hmm. I initially signed up. I was in the delayed entry program for the Marines. Uh, I ended up getting into an argument with my staff sergeant 
a huge blowout. You know, I was 18 years old, New York, you couldn't touch me type of mentality. Um, so I ended up getting kicked out of the late entry program. It took a few <laughs> months. Um, so I actually ended up working uh, at an auto parts store for a few years until I decided, you know, what am I going to do now? Because I got fired from that job for being late. <laughs> Uh, so that's kind of when I w turned my eye back to the military um, and decided to join the Navy. Okay, so so um, you were thinking about the military. You're you're depth in during high school, and then some shit happened. And actually, it was a couple of years until you actually joined the military. Uh, it was like a few months, uh, okay. maybe like six or seven months, and that's when I decided to join. It was like there's um history in my family as far as military members as well. Okay, that's that's one of my questions. So we'll we'll just start at the beginning. Where where did you grow up? So I grew up in uh, Central Islip, out in Long Island, in New York. And uh, what, what, kind of, what uh -huh. was it like growing up there? Uh, you? You know, it was it was great, man. I loved it. You know, it's not until years after I left um, that I realized what a good area that I grew up in. Because one, it was just the major thing was diversity. Mm -hmm. I grew up with so many different type of people, and that kind of helped me in the military, you know, because in the military, you just meet everybody from all walks of life. So Central Lights have definitely uh, opened up my eyes to just being comfortable with that, being around different people and socialize and get to know people. Just, I loved it. So when I, when I think of New York and thinking of the boroughs and stuff like that, was it, is it where you grew up? Was it like yeah. the, the biggest malls in the Jay-Z's or were you a little, <laughs> little more fortunate? No, so you know what, man? That's the huge misconception, man. Yeah. And the crazy thing is, like, the city itself, like, Nassau County is just so small compared to the rest of New York. Because, you know, you got Suffolk County is where I grew up. And then outside of Nassau, you have, like, upstate New York, which is huge. You know, it's just farms and Niagara Falls, all that stuff up there, you know, out to the Hamptons. So, you know, New York is more than just what people think, like, the, the five boroughs. But, yeah, every time I tell people from New York, they just assume I'm from the city. <laughs> yeah, well, uh, Sabrina, my girlfriend, she's from upstate New York, so nice. I, that's I know I know about that part, and mm -hmm. so and that's nothing like the New York that you see in the uh, the movies and the rap videos and all this. What were what were you like in high school? Uh so in high school, you know, I was a very reserved person. I pretty much kept to myself. You know, I, I always think back to I remember looking at um one of my old report cards, you know, from kindergarten, you know, back then they, gave, they didn't really give you grades. They kind of give you like S for satisfactory and stuff like that. Um, but one of the things I remember that my uh, teacher wrote, she wrote that I was shy and I, that's kind of how I was just, I, I just stayed to myself until I got to know people. That's kind of when I opened up a little bit more yeah. um, in that, but I was always a very uh, social person. You know, it sounds kind of contradictory, but I kind of, you know, I, I did enjoy conversations with different people and just getting to know other people. But I was just stayed away, stayed out of trouble, you know, that kind of person. You're very uh, soft-spoken, but, like, you're very inviting and very friendly. You're the type of dude that makes friends with everybody and gets along with everybody. So yeah, is thanks. that pretty much how you were the same in high school? Yeah. You know, there's, even with the whole social media outlet, man, it's just there's people, like, that I still keep in touch with now from all the way from high school up to my last command at the Navy and to new people that I'm meeting uh, at work and just in my neighborhood over here, man. It's just, I, and I think I get that from my dad. My dad's a very social person. I think I get it from him. So yeah, I'm, I'm, uh, I, I never want to put off that thing where people just, you know, don't want to talk to me or whatever. Yeah. I think people get that impression from me sometimes, but. <laughs> well, you're very, you're like, from afar, you're a large, intimidating-looking dude. But, <laughs> but once you 
start talking, you're very humble and considerate. Uh, what kind of hobbies or activities were you doing in high school? Were you into sports or, or what? Oh, uh, man. So high school, I, I really wasn't like, I, I did like basketball. Basketball's one of my things. Um, we moved into a new neighborhood. It was a uh, college woods out in central Islip. This is like in the early nineties. Uh, one of my cousins, he's actually into construction. He actually built us a basketball court in the backyard. Uh, and that was so cool. Like I love playing basketball and my dad was custodian at the uh, elementary school that I went to. And on Fridays, I would go help my dad out and he would let us play in the gym, you know? So that was one of the big things growing up is uh, definitely basketball. Were you involved in any team sports or anything like that? No, not really. Not until like later in life. Um, but no, not, not growing up like in high school. I, I, the only thing I really did was uh, wrestling, but I kind of did that in middle school. And then when I got to high school, I lost a lot of matches. So I kind of stopped after that <laughs> where in middle school I, I won, like I was undefeated, but I kind of stopped after uh, I got to high school. <laughs> now, uh, you know, in school, you get the question, what do you want to be when you grow up? What was your answer? At the time, I think one of the biggest things that stand out are, and I think for a lot of kids too, you know, you look at policemen, mm-hmm. uh, that was kind of like one of the first jobs in, in uh, growing up where it's like, yeah, that's, that's what I want to be. You know, there was never really anything else. There was never a think, uh, thought about the military, anything like that. It was just, so, you know, police officer, you know, what they do and what they stand for was one of the first things I wanted to do. When did you really realistically start considering joining the Navy or the military? Sorry. Uh, probably my senior year of high school when I knew like the end was coming, I was graduating, <laughs> I needed to do something with my life. Uh, so yeah, it was probably my senior year of high school where I was just like, man, I got to do something. I, I didn't want to be, and not that I don't love my family, but I just, I, I want to do something outside of central Islip. And I know you said that, um, there is some military history in your family. So what were your parents thinking when you, when you told them about this decision? Uh, I think initially they were uh, scared, yeah. you know, just like any parents, because uh, it's the unknown. You really don't know what you're getting yourself into. Uh, but at the same time, there's like joy because, you know, you're doing something. Yeah. Um, so gonna, say, like, yeah, that nervous excitement. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I'm pretty sure they were ready to get me out of the house anyway. So that was, there was like uh, excitement for that, too, I'm sure. <laughs> history was in your family, like who was you had some uncles or something. Uh, so my dad, he served for his country. My dad's from Ecuador. Uh, he served for his the army out there. Uh, I had a cousin that was in the Marines. Uh, she t- kind of talked me talked to me before I actually joined the uh, like the uh, Navy. So I kind of got my mind uh, running into that direction. And I got some cousins that are still active duty in the army. Yeah, um, I'm trying to I'm trying to make these like uh, these connections, and I, I'm I'm basing New York on what I see on TV and I kind of want to say like um the the a lot of kids join the military from that area that maybe they feel like that's the best option if school's not the best option and they don't want to be running around uh I I, I really I don't know like there's a you have a bunch of friends that wanted to join the military or so it wasn't until like after I've joined like years later into yeah. the military service, I, I knew a few people that joined like the Marines. Yeah. But outside of that, no, I think uh, a lot of people end up going to school, honestly, or just getting regular nine to five jobs out there for the most part. And um, so I'm assuming your cousin had a major influence on wanting to be a Marine. 
Yeah, one, because it, it's just like, you know, when you know somebody has like a foot in a door somewhere, it's kind of like it helps you out a little bit. Um, but again, like I said, once I got into that argument with that staff sergeant, it kind of like turned me off to it. So I kind of just, you know, butted heads and kind of went my own way. Uh, tell me about uh, when you when you decided that the military was the, the route to go and choosing the Navy, what made you choose the Navy at, in the end? <laughs> so funny story, like I'm pretty sure you remember this too when you're sitting down with your recruiter uh, and everything sounds good on paper. You know, they said operations specialist or hospital corpsman were right, two options at the time. Mm-hmm. So when I read about operations specialists, I was like radars and aircraft, you know, on paper, it's like, man, this is just like the movies, man. And I'm like, yeah, I want to do this. That's definitely what I want to do. So that's kind of what pushed me into that direction when I read that description of what an OS does. <laughs> and uh, how long between uh, talking with the, the Navy recruiter and actually going to boot camp? How long, how long was, did, you, did that take? So I got fired from my previous job working at a, a car parts store in, in December of 1996. It sounds like a long time ago. Uh, and I ended up leaving to boot camp the following year, March of 1997 on St. Patrick's Day of all days. <laughs> all <right. laughs> and you went to Great Lakes, I'm assuming? Oh my goodness, yes. Great Lakes is a place you'll never forget. So it was like the winter time out there and it's like cold like no other place that I've been to in the world. So yeah, Great Lakes during the winter time. Um, do, you, do you know what year like the other boot camps were closed? Like the one in San Diego and Florida, I want to say. Yeah, there was one in Orlando, one in, like you said, in San Diego. From what I hear, I think it was like maybe late 80s, early uh, 90s, I believe. I don't have an exact date, but around I'll that time. I like believe. 93, so, so that probably, you probably yeah. never heard of those places or like, you're like fucking, ah, I gotta go to Great Lakes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I never heard of them until like, like, after I joined the military, people were talking about them. So yeah, I just I never knew about those other places until afterwards. Uh, what were some of your preconceptions about boot camp and military life in general? Like, what were you think the lifestyle was going to be like? Oh well, like I said earlier, my cousin uh, talked to me. She, one of the things I I still remember to this day, and I even sat at my retirement, uh, which you were there. And one of the things that she told me was like, you know, you're going to get yelled at. <laughs> and you know, I grew up in a Hispanic family so you get a yell at me was like nothing you know my dad always yelled at me my mom yelled at me so I was like okay it's like I can do this um, but I, I really didn't know what to expect you know I, I kind of take everything that I go into just like I want to learn as I go type of thing um, I was of course being scared or anything I just already knew I was going to be you know having to do uh, PT and getting yelled at and uniforms and all this other stuff so those are kind of things when I thought about the military and going in, that's all I really thought about. I didn't really think anything outside of that. Did you get any sort of advice from like a recruiter or maybe your pops or anybody in the military about boot camp? Oh man. You know what, man? It's so it's funny you say that. Uh, so my recruiter, he was telling me like, Oh man, when you join, you're going to go like all these parties. And, like, and to me, like that didn't really matter. Like I didn't care for that stuff, but you know, thinking about it now, I was like, why the hell would he even tell me that? So in my mind, when he said that, I was like, okay. And then when I joined, I was like, what the hell? What was he even talking about? <laughs> like, unless he meant working party, that was the only thing. But I was like, outside of that, no. <laughs> How's your relationship with that recruiter? Uh, interestingly enough, I actually ran into him um, years later. I want to say it was like around 2009, 2010 timeframe. Uh, we were actually on a bus of all places. We were going to go watch the Yankees and Mets, a subway series game. 
and he just happened to be on a bus, but he, he didn't remember. I can remember him because, like, I remember faces. Um, but we, we really didn't talk. I kind of just said, hey, blah, 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 you know. But um, that was the extent of the conversation. It really didn't go much after that. When you, when you saw him for the first, like, when you see him as a civilian, you think he, he has this, like, mystique about him, like this, this dude from the Navy. And now you, when you saw him again years later after you've done it, was all that mystique gone? Yeah, it kind of is. It, it kind of because once you go through that experience, it's kind of like I think you find out at the end of the day we're all the same. Uh, it's a job that we've held, and you know, there is that I guess that thing that people see in the military, like especially now this time day and age where it just gets pushed on you know sporting events and everything else. So there is kind of that mystique of, of the military. But you know, being in it, you already know it. At the end of the day, we're all people. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so um, this is my third third interview I guess you could call and like I'm already starting to like I'm starting to get saying the same things over and over to the but getting different answers is is kind of weird but it's kind of cool at the same time Mm -hmm. and I'm starting to think about like a couple of things that like Navy sailors experience yeah this isn't really one of them but like uh I remember my first physical day of going to boot camp I remember I took a train to a, to a plane and then a plane to Great Lakes, and then we got on the bus to go to boot camp. And I remember the bus ride, it was late in the evening, and I remember, like, people were talking, like, really low amongst themselves, and I can remember, like, that low hum of talking voices. Mm-hmm. Like, everybody's, like, super anxious. I remember, um, like, the RDCs getting on the bus and telling everybody to get off. And when I stepped off the bus, I remember looking up at the night sky and seeing, like, the stars. It was a clear night sky. Like, I remember all that stuff. Do you remember your, like, first physical day of going to boot camp? Yeah, you know, it's funny. It's, like, as vividly as you remember it, like, I remember that experience. And it's not that it's a traumatic experience. It's just, like, it's a point in our lives where it's just, like, you know, you're leaving the nest. And, you know, that's when reality hits you in the butt, like, man, like, this is real. Like, I'm really going away from home for the first time. Um, so, yeah, like, I remember waking up real super early in the morning. Um, you know, my parents w- were awake. Uh, my brother and sister were down there. Uh, and it's one of the first times where I, that's why, you know, at that time I was uh, 19. Okay. And it was the first time I've ever seen my dad cry. You know, it was just like, like, it was just emotional experience. I remember the night before, my mom actually got me a – and Old Navy was fairly new. I think Old Navy just opened up in 1994. Um, so this was in 97. She got me, like, a, a sweatsuit, which is medium back then, which I don't fit into now. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, she made sure her son was going off in style with uh, Old Navy outfit, jogging suit and everything. And I do remember that ride, you know, my recruiter picking me up, uh, bringing me to MEPS, which I think was in Fort Hamilton – uh, I forget what bridge. I don't know if it's the Verrazano Bridge where it's under, somewhere over there. Uh, and just going through that whole process. You know, there's going through the physical, uh, going to, you know, swearing in, the going to the airport. And they, I remember them giving us vouchers. I think I, I had like Sabaro's Pizza. Because mm-hmm. I was going to like eat whatever I could before I left. <laughs> and the plane ride getting over there. And of course, landing, you know, getting on that bus. And then, you know, you're standing out there. They're telling you what to do. So, yeah, it's, it's just like it happened yesterday, man. So, yeah, it's very vivid. Like, I can remember all those little things up until I left the house, you know? How many um, how many times were you, did you want to turn back? Like, or 
like how hard were you thinking about like man i, I think i i don't want to do this or like if if i get the option to like run away i'm taking it did that ever come or were you like i'm in it <laughs> yeah man like that never actually crossed my mind the only time it ever crossed my mind was when the recruiter not the recruiter i'm sorry when rdc were all outside standing in formation and we just happened to be standing in in front of a fence and he was like if you guys want to run away now's the time to do it i'm like what the hell is this guy talking about but before that i i never even thought about it. i was like you know i'm in it um you know let, let's see how this turns out so it was never a thing where I, I was already committed to it as soon as i already left the house um just a side topic like i've been doing these interviews now and it, and it has me thinking about my uh military career and experience obviously and i started thinking about boot camp and um I remember when I was in boot camp, I heard the story, the story about uh, one of the recruits try to run away, and they had stopped him at the fence with either like gunshots or he was shot or something, and I was like thinking, man, that's fucked up. <laughs> and then I remember like in the Mestex, there's like a division who was like several weeks behind us and then they heard that same story so like now i'm thinking like i wonder if that's a story that just gets like an urban legend type of thing did you ever hear anything like that in boot camp yeah and it was around that same time i think when the recruiter was telling us about the fence um because i think i want to say like underneath it was kind of pulled up a little bit uh -huh. so like i don't know if it was for show or if somebody really did run but you know it's kind of one of those things where it's like when somebody an authority tells you it's like you believe it and it's like oh man like so yeah i believe it at the time and yeah we did hear similar stories at that time <laughs> <laughs> that, that has to be like a boot camp urban legend i have to get like a recruiter on here to like let me know <laughs> yeah it was probably it was, i guess it like a pass down or something yeah um how was your boot camp experience mentally and physically Oh, uh, so mentally it was just one of those things like i said earlier where just being away from home for the first time so i was like the first few days was like very sad. Um, I wasn't really depressed or anything. But it was just like, man, like I'm away from home. You know, I don't have my parents and my brother or sister. Uh, but once we got into a routine and uh, that kind of like started mentally getting, you know, making that transition, you know, towards that military lifestyle, you know, and I remember other things vividly like hearing my RDC's shoes walking in, like putting on the lights and you just hear those shoes clapping on the deck. And it's just like, Oh man. So, you know, just little things like that. It's just overall, it was a pretty good experience. Um, you know, I've met people in boot camp through a few throughout my military career. I was thankful to run into them again. So overall, it, like it was like afterwards, you, you see how easy it was, but initially it was like nerve wracking. Cause you don't, you don't know what to expect. It's the unknown. Do you remember your rack mate? Uh, yes, actually not the guy that slept above me, but the guy that slept next to me, I do recall him. Uh, his name was Watson. And the reason why I remember him is because uh, they pulled out his, you know, when they were pulling people's uh, wisdom teeth out. Yeah. And I remember him waking up and his pillow being all bloody. So <laughs> that always sticks in my head. <laughs> I had the, uh, the rack mate, the guy that slept above me, he slept above me and he was a guy that could not uh, make his bed. So every morning I was making two beds. Oh, like, wow. I, that was, I was that guy. How nice of you. <laughs> <laughs> So, um, so we're going, we're talking about boot camp, and now, well, let me ask you this were you have you traveled a lot or were you away from home before boot camp? 
like was that a feeling you're used to or was this like a new feeling uh so we did travel we were younger um you know i have an older brother and a younger sister i'm the middle child uh so yeah my parents actually took us traveling up and down the east coast uh i remember going to florida georgia canada uh you know, New Jersey, place okay. like that. So up and down the East Coast and Puerto Rico, where my mom is from. Yeah. I traveled there. So it was always a thing, but it was just, I guess, because it was normal to us. Yeah. You know, outside of that, I was just like, okay, I'm going to go see somewhere else, which I thought was pretty interesting. That's no, that's good. Um, so far, like a lot of people probably join for the, like, the traveling that you'll do in the military. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I guess that was, that's just a bonus for you. Yeah, definitely. Okay, now, so we're talking about boot camp. And now this is personally one of my proudest accomplishments is like going through boot camp, going through battle stations. And then you're at the graduation ceremony where we switch over from the recruit ball caps to the Navy ball caps. Did you do the same thing? And how did you, how did that make you feel? Uh, You know what, man, I, I, I can sometimes get caught up in things and, I, I think at that point I was just like ready for the next thing. You uh-huh. know what I'm saying? Uh, I was ready to see my family. Um, I just had a, my daughter was just born about a, a few weeks before I actually went to the military, into the Navy. Oh, wow. So, you know, those things was, was, I was looking forward to. So for me, it was just like, man, I was ready to, yeah, ready okay. to go. Yeah. I'll, I'll get into this later, but like, I feel like the, the Navy, probably the military in general, like they go through phases of changes were they doing like the did, did they switch from recruit ball caps to navy ball caps or was it totally something different uh i think we yeah we i think we went from like uh because our old hats and i might still have one at my parents house but i think it said like recruit on it yeah um and i think after that yeah that's when we tr- uh, transitioned i think over to like the dixie cups or something like that if i remember correctly oh, really? i could be wrong but it's been a while yeah yeah that's what i was saying like we got the same, like, instead of setting recruits, it said Navy, and that's how you knew you graduated boot camp, essentially. Yeah, you are part of the, the force. <laughs> Do you remember your first meal after you graduated, after when you weren't in boot camp? Yeah, so my parents, they actually, so my mom, dad, uh, my girlfriend at the time, and my daughter came down to visit me. And fu- interesting enough, my dad got a ticket all the, in every state from New York to Illinois, <laughs> <laughs> I found that afterwards. Um, but I think it was um, it was like a regular diner type place. I might have got like a hamburger or something. So, yeah. you know, just something outside of like that, you, you know, you're used to outside in the civilian sector. I know. Yeah. I feel like I don't I hate saying it, but we, like we come from two different eras, even though we're like such great friends. Yeah. That, uh, but I know your experience in the 90s was different from my experience in the early 2000s oh yeah definitely. Much, uh, that's how much things changed in the military mm-hmm. um all right so so we were graduating boot camp and i'm assuming you had your uh when you took the oath and everything that you had a, a school guaranteed and that's where you're going to next yes uh so my next uh, duty station after great lakes illinois was going to be uh damneck virginia so that's where I was headed to uh, after uh, school. So, but I think I want to say I took leave in between. I don't. Re- I, and actually, no, that's a lie. I went directly from. I actually flew up myself because there were like three or four other guys that were in my uh, boot camp class 
that were going to uh, OSA school as well. But they, they had an earlier flight than I did. I ended up taking a smaller plane flying into Norfolk uh, by myself in my, uh, in my whites, I remember. What kind of things were you looking forward to? Like, you just finished boot camp, and that, does, that doesn't mirror, like, the Navy at all. That's just a training thing to get you up to speed. Like, what kind of things were you looking forward to away from boot camp and starting the ne- this next part of your career? Uh, I was just want to learn my job, you know, just like I said, when I uh, was reading that whole dis- job description, like, man, I was like, I want to do all these things. And that's kind of like what I was looking forward to. I want to learn about radars. I wanted to learn about navigation and, you know, things I didn't know, like moboards, uh, stuff like that. So, yeah, you know, that was kind of my push and what my interest were at the time. Um, so you're hitting this new, this new phase of your career, which we call A school. That's where we learn our training. And then you're seeing like all these instructors and everything that these are people that, that are coming from the fleet. They're taking orders to basically teach you how to go out into the fleet. Uh, what kind of things were you looking forward to about fleet life away from this training environment? Uh, just the uh, shipboard life in general, you know, cause I've never had that sea experience at all. So it's just kind of like what their experience were out to see, how it was and what they actually did out there. So just questions about the job and just general like lifestyle on board the ship. Because I think in my class, we had like two uh, fleet returnees that were actually in our class. I think they were like uh, petty officers at the time too. So, you know, they were obviously senior to us. Uh, so, you know, we got to hear some of what they were saying at the time too. What were some of your preconceptions about fleet life? Like, did you think... Uh, about working and doing all that, going out to oh, sea and all that. Yeah, I'll tell you one thing. So one thing that was definitely not on that uh, was sweeping or cleaning. <laughs> <laughs> that definitely was not on there. So, yeah, I just thought I was going to go somewhere where like a nine to five, you know, you go somewhere, do your job and you go home. Uh, but we know now that, you know, it's really not like that. It's it's more involved. There's more uh, tedious things to do. Um, so, yeah, I, was, I, I just thought it was a regular nine to five job. <laughs> Uh, what at what point uh tell me how you came to the uh picking or did you have a choice of state uh duty stations after training yeah so i did i was actually i think fourth in my class i forget how big the class was probably like 20 25 people in the class um and there was you know orders to japan norfolk and one set of orders to Hawaii. Mm-hmm. It's like, man, I, the two people in front of me, I think one picked Japan, one picked DC. That was also DC and somebody ended up going to Norfolk. Oh, wow. So I was like, cool, man. Like these orders are still here. So, you know, Hawaii was on the list. So I, I grabbed them up, man. And it was just like, you know, that, that was like mo- even more motivation to, um, you know, see what the fleet had in, uh, in preparation for me. <laughs> <laughs> um. So Hawaii is about as far away from New York as you can get. What what was it about Hawaii that you wanted above other than it being Hawaii? Uh, you know, it, it was to me what we saw on TV, you know, like I've never really traveled. That was the furthest at the time that I've traveled out West. Um, so to me, it was just like paradise. That's what that, you know, when you think of Hawaii, that's all you really yeah. think about. Um, that and on top, you know, at the time, my girlfriend, her mother actually lived out there in Hawaii. So that oh. was like, uh, I guess, another added bonus at the time uh, going into Hawaii. But I think it was just the people, you know, because when you think about 
the United States, like, you know, Alaska and Hawaii, like the only really places where I think that still have their culture. So that was yeah. an, another thing I was looking forward to just to uh, be inside of other people's culture was a, a definitely a big thing, a big draw for me. Now I heard like good and bad things about Hawaii. Was it good overall or, or would you have gone a different route if you could? No, for that's even my first duty station, man. Like people don't have that opportunity, ever get that opportunity. I was very grateful. Um, you know, it, there's bad place just like anywhere else. It's it's no different. Uh, the biggest thing that I, the biggest complaint that I heard was being stuck on an island. Like I don't yeah. mind the island. I love the beaches. Um, I you know I love being out there. But that was kind of one of the big things that people complain about was like they called rock fever. <laughs> <laughs> but. I love I love nature. I love the outdoors, and that was the what other place in the world would you want to be besides there to experience you know those things that you love? Yeah, dang, I, I, like you had such a long career. I want to get into these different questions, but I don't want to get off track. So, mm-hmm. and then I have nothing written down. So like sometimes I'll forget what I want to go back to. Yeah, and then I'll list I'll re-listen to these things, and I'm like, oh, I wanted to ask them this. So hopefully this doesn't happen. <laughs> uh, I want to talk about. Well, let's let's go back to the. I was telling you earlier about there's like certain things that you. It's like one of those like a you know you're a sailor if type of things, and one of them is the ship smell. Oh man, it's it's very very distinct smell. It's like a combination of paint, oil, cooking oil. Um, yeah, it's a very distinct smell that just never leaves. It's like it's stuck in your nasals for like the rest of your life it's something you'll never forget so most like, definitely like yeah. once you step on board you know you're on a navy ship oh um, yeah uh i i i only went i've only been on the one ship you you've been on a couple of ships is it the same smell or does each ship have like slightly different but pretty much the same yeah it's it's crazy you, you bring that up man but yeah it's like it's deja vu every single time like yeah every single ship i've been on has that same distinct smell to it so yeah especially with the newer ships once you get inside that airlock on ddgs and get in it's like it's like trapped in there so yeah like i could i could picture it right now like i haven't been on a ship in in 10 years and i could i could hear the the the, the hatch noise the hatch makes when you open it and i could feel the rush of air and yep. then i could then and then and the smell another thing that's you know, your sailor if or one of those type of things is like you're the first time going out to sea on your boat. Can you explain your first time going out to sea? Yeah, it was a uh, very scary for me at the time. I, I really didn't know what to expect. Um, when I got to the ship, this was uh, September of 1998 is when I reported on board. Uh, they were back in Hawaii. They were back in uh, Bravo 13, which is like they consider the penalty box. So this is kind of where ships kind of go, kind of when they come back from deployment and they're kind of going through getting stuff fixed or whatever. Yeah. Uh, so I remember reporting there uh, and maybe a few months afterwards getting underway, uh, but nothing really prepares you for it. You know what I'm saying? Because everybody's already into that routine and, you know, being yeah. the newest and youngest person division, you're kind of just doing what you're told uh, until you actually like once those lines go and you feel the ship moving, that's kind of when it starts to become real. And being at sea and anchor, then when you're out like in the Pacific Ocean and you're actually, it wasn't like, like really, like I just remember the ocean being really smooth over there. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I just kind of remember getting a little bit seasick, um, you know, things like that. I think kind of a lot of people go through, uh, but it never really sunk into, hey, we're in the middle of the ocean and <laughs> anything could happen, you know. What about when you first stepped outside and like there's nothing around you but water and 
fucking sky. Ah, uh, so you know what? That that really didn't trip me out, man. No, like, no, like, cause you know, like I remember this was like uh, late afternoon, and I just remember going out there and just seeing how beautiful uh, the ocean is, and you know, just being able to see Oahu like over the horizon, just how beautiful the uh, the islands were. So you know, that in itself was just a beautiful. I guess you know, to have that experience was, to me. Uh, be my first uh, duty station to be my kind of first sight of seeing yeah a beautiful experience overall uh let me throw a couple more memories that i've had and see see how yeah. you react to them uh your first quarters after a couple of days of sea on the deck of the ship when everything's covered in salt and it's kind of humid and everything just feels sticky like do you remember that oh yeah man and back then like we um so we had dungarees at that time. Uh, so we didn't, we had to wear those at sea and anchor. We couldn't change into our coveralls until after we were complete with sea and anchor. Uh, yeah. But I do remember like that, like, I didn't know what it was, but I can kind of see like that white residue type stuff and like, what the hell is that? So yeah. I just remember like kind of being on your face if you're out there for a while. Yeah. So All yeah, it's very stuff. distinct. Like just being out to sea. And then, uh, one, one last one really quickly is, uh, is out in the, in the Gulf, in the middle, in the in the Middle East, out in the Gulf, early morning once again, and the the water looks like freaking glass. Yeah, that was like probably one of the, the smoothest uh, areas of water I've ever been in. Yeah, it's it's something over there. Yeah. <laughs> and um, and talk to me about your first deployment. Like, what kind of a uh, pre preconceptions did you have about deployments, and like, uh, what was it like? Expectations versus reality. Oh man. So, you know, like, uh, when I, like, I, I, so I reported in Hawaii, like I said, September of 98, I got married the following uh, month, October. Um, so I was 19 married. Um, like I said, I just had a daughter. She was almost uh, a year. And, um, you know, you hear a lot of things from different sailors, like the old people, I'm with the old salts as they call them on board. They, like you hear stories from, you know, crazy things raining from, uh, cheating to this, that, and the other thing, but I was naive at that. I didn't know anything about those things. So like, I, I was always a person where I was going to make my own opinion on, on mm -hmm. things out there. You know, I, yeah, I would hear them out and everything, but I was like, you know, that's not me. That's not wh what I'm looking forward to when I go out to see or whatever. I just wanted to go out, uh, you know, meet other people, be in other countries and, you know, just enjoy that. So that was kind of like one of my expectations when I went on my first appointment, which was in between 98 and 99 time frame. Um, was it a traditional deployment where you're, you're doing your operations, hit a port every now and then? And... Uh, yeah, so we left. Uh, my first port visit was Hong Kong. So that was my first overseas port. And, man, we had a blast over there. Like, I remember we were uh, anchored out. And oh, back during that time, too, Liberty was actually Liberty. Like, you didn't have to come back to the ship unless you had duty. Of course, mm -hmm. we're in three sections. But, you know, as long as you had, like, Liberty buddy with you, uh, you were pretty much good to go. You just come back uh, the following day and just do your regular work and be off by lunchtime. So, yeah, that was, like, awesome experience. <laughs> now, I don't want to go through your whole military career because we'll probably be here for a while. Oh, yeah. But, um, uh. How many different types of ships were you on? Uh, so DDG and uh, CG Cruiser. So I was, uh, those are the two. And uh, Sprue Can, so three different platforms. Uh, any, like, did you 
like anyone more or better or was, was it about the same? Uh, as far as ship wise, yeah, they're all the same, man. All definitely all the same. Tin can. <laughs> uh, was your job generally pretty much the same on all of them? Just as you, as you started getting promotions, you know, you just started adding responsibilities and such. Yeah, exactly. Like every ship I went on, like there was always that uh, increased responsibility and expectation. Uh, so yeah, it, my jobs for the most part were the same, but yeah, just some things do change with leadership. Yeah. Yeah. Um, how about as far as like, uh, this may be a dumb question, but did you get your warfare pin? Yeah. So actually I got in that first deployment. It was a 98, okay. 99 deployment. I got as a seaman uh, and actually got pinned in Australia. So that was yes. pretty cool. So I'm trying to like, um, I've been reflecting obviously on my, my, uh, my career and it's, it's definitely not as long as yours. So, uh, so like you could probably draw from more different, um, events that mean, that mean a lot more to you than other events mm-hmm. and, uh, pretty much getting my warfare pen. I got it as an E5 and, um, that was I was more proud of getting my warfare pin than getting those promotions up to E5. Uh, did you have any, was your warfare pin that special like that? It was man, especially as an E3. I think there was only maybe two or three of us, uh, E3 that got it on deployment. So for me, you know, to come back from deployment and, you know, those dungarees and not have any, um, you know, <laughs> chevrons and walk around with the pin, that was like very big, you know, it, it kind of makes you feel, proud of yourself of the accomplishment that you've completed so yeah i definitely wore it with a badge of honor man it was a huge thing and like you said outside of making chief that was definitely a a big thing for me yeah that was i was gonna bring that up so like um you could probably you could probably talk to any sailor and you could you could you could probably guess at some of their accomplishments like uh graduating boot camp getting their warfare pin uh, where does making chief rank amongst like your greatest naval accomplishments? Oh man, that was, um, uh, it was an unbelievable experience. Um, you know, just to go through that whole, uh, you know, kind of brings all the traditions of the military together, man. It, you know, just going through that whole process and I, I, I you know, honestly, I, I love the military and I love it even more after that. Okay. Um, so yeah, it, it was definitely an, an awesome experience. And, you know, the day after, you know, when you get pinned and everything, it's just, you know, a, a huge accomplishment, you know, in, in your naval career. And I was just very fortunate uh, and lucky to, you know, at least make it to that level. Um, Man, I have so many questions. And I also like, there's, there's a lot of naval tradition, especially when it comes to chief that like, that you, you, you should hold on to and, and and like only certain people only people that make it that far should experience that so i don't want to like spoil anything if that makes sense yeah yeah definitely but um where do where do i wanna what do i want to say about it um <laughs> we could we could skip that for a minute uh but i do want to talk about the chief role if you will and yeah. obviously when, once you make E7 and above, you're, you're like, you're, that's it. You're in a leadership position. Can you describe your leadership style? Um, you, you know, like, honestly, like I got a chance to re- reflect on a lot of that after I retired, but when I was in, 
my leadership style was, um, I guess, more of a coaching uh, type of leadership. You know, I, I've always liked to help people out where I can. You know, early when I was uh, first in, I was like, you know, how come these guys don't help out or they don't even talk to us? You know, back then in the late 90s, like, you know, the Chiefs, the only time I really heard from them was at quarters. Yeah. That was really it. You know, it was always the first class that uh, you talked to, and that's where everything went through. So I, when I made Chief, I, I always wanted to maintain that open line of communication with uh, my sailors. Like, and, you know, I, I wanted them to be on a level, you know, because they always say, you know, your division is a reflection of you. So that always kind of hit home with me. You know what I'm saying? I, I always wanted to train the best that I could. I wanted to know everything that I knew. I wasn't going to hold anything back as far as what I knew. You know, I wanted them to know too, because that's part of our job is training. And um, that's kind of what the expectation is, you know, knowing your job. Um, how, was that like, like a part priority of yours to like, like when, once, I guess when I think of chiefs, they, they kind of like leave the, uh, their, the job role, you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. And they become more like a, like a facilitator, if you will, mm -hmm. was still being an OS a priority of yours once you become chief i know that's a shitty way of putting that but do you get what i'm saying yeah yeah definitely um yeah it was, it was like even at that point you know you're in uh that leadership position like that job never leaves you know because it still has to get done but now it's yeah. just like you having to make sure that people are ready to assume those other positions uh, so yeah it like the doing it um that changes because you do take on uh, different roles, even underway, you know, like there's higher uh, positions that you sit in, in combat. Um, but yeah, it's, it's always there in the back of the mind, but um, it's just one of those things where you just want to make sure that everybody is ready and everybody knows what they're doing. I was that disgruntled E4 much, pretty much like everybody was a disgruntled E4 at one time. Yeah. And um, I had, my my first chief chief Moreland mm -hmm. and uh I didn't know this at the time but uh he was a very good chief I probably gave him more more trouble than he he deserved but uh yeah he was very good at understanding like the navy big mission and uh not being like a dick about it but like guiding us towards that mission like yeah. even like the stupid small stuff that we think is stupid it, it's all go towards the the navy big operation picture how how did you facilitate? Like, how did you get that across? Like, did you have to, you know, you have to make those like dick moves every once in a while, but it, it's all for a bigger purpose. Yeah. It's like, it's like one of those things, you know, when you're in those positions, you know, there's always somebody working above you, you know, just see, like even our captain, there's somebody above him as well. Um, and it's just one of those things where it's like, you really have to believe what, what's being put out. And, you know, once you can make, people believe like what's being put out what's being said and you know there being truth behind it it's like you know people will follow you and they'll follow you anywhere you go um and that's kind of what's been you know my thing you know i wasn't going to sugarcoat anything mm -hmm. i knew what needed to get done and you know that being what it is you know this is what we have to do like we have a mission in front of us this is what we do this is our job so yeah I, i've never really i don't think i really came off across as being like that i just wanted to make sure like everybody understood could is there is there a line or could you tell like like a set of orders or something how do you could you tell if something was like meant for the bigger picture of the navy or bu bureaucracy like to help some officers 
career? Like, it, could you tell, and how did you navigate that? Uh, as far as like that, I, I've never sensed it was for anybody's personal gain. Yeah, okay. Uh, I always took it for what it was, like the overall mission and uh, what we had to do. So that was always my mentality. That's how I always approached it, and that's how I always delivered it as well. I just want to bring it up because it, it kind of, just because of the events on what's going on, Mm-hmm. around the world right now especially with police force and the blue line and all that in the mess decks and the chief step mess decks if if there's someone like obviously doing something bad do you guys check each other yeah yeah definitely uh you know and everywhere you go every command is different i've heard horror stories like and i've been fortunate enough in my career to where when i hear these things i'm like where the hell did that happen or how does that even happen in our navy yeah uh, but I, like I said, I've been fortunate and, and you know, I, I can say for sure that if somebody sees something, they're going to say something I, like, like, it, it, like being a chief, honestly, it, it's a brotherhood or sisterhood, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, we'll definitely check each other. Uh, if somebody's out of standards, you know, they're going to know they're out of standards. You know what I'm saying? If somebody's doing something they shouldn't be doing, you know, I, I've been in those messes where somebody's going to say something, you know what I'm saying? It's all about accountability. It's all about having each other's backs at the end of the day when you're out to see, you know, that's who you have. Yeah. And I just want to say that, like, uh, it, it's just important to, like, maintain that, um, that union, you, you, that solidarity between you guys. So, like, it doesn't cause, you know, chaos yeah. or whatnot. Yeah. But it's also important that you just got to um, maintain the morals and, and, and you just have to, like, if you see something bad, like, don't protect bad people, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Well, it's, it's, just, it's just like any relationship, you know. It's just like, you know, parents raising kids, you know. Um, you know, you, you got to have that front. You got to be on the same page, you know, just like any relationship. Um, you know, we can't have two different ideas and try and battle this one thing. You know, we got to be on the same page of how we're going to confront this. And, uh, you know, it's kind of like the mess that I've been in. That's how it's been. It's just like. I'm so glad I got to experience that. You know, every, like I said, yeah, you got people have different opinions about some things, but at the end of the day, we're, we're, we're going to still move forward. I'm just going to throw this out there as well, because this is also something I've been thinking about. Mm-hmm. And I'm just going to use this as, as an example. Maybe now that you're, you've been in that chief role, you could tell me that there's a little bit more to it and that I'm still seeing it from the disgruntled E4 position that I used to be. But like, for example, when we're on the Donald Cook, I would say it's tradition to have quarters first thing in the morning, right? Mm-hmm. Leadership puts out the plan of the day and you talk about whatever's going on and then you break for work and then yeah. that's it. Now on the Donald Cook, at a certain period of time, they move quarters to the end of the day mm-hmm. and seeing that as from a disgruntled E4 perspective, I felt like that was like a shady way just to like, keep people there working for for whatever reason it doesn't matter uh, you know and yeah let everybody leave to me that was like a and i'm just gonna say the word shady but like it's unnecessarily uh, it, that was not necessary necessary do chiefs or people in leadership positions see that and just go along with it or do they bring that up to the captains or who, whomever cmc and then they get an explanation and then you got to go with it or how does like, that's just like one of the many things, but like, 
I feel like stuff like that happens all the time just to like for accountability or what whatever. Yeah, and you know, I, I kind of felt the same way too. And a good example of that is the last ship I was on uh, to Normandy. So every Friday in the yards, we would have captain's call. Uh, so at first I was like, what, the, what do you guys do this for? But, you know, just like anything, a communication is a, a common denominator in everything when it comes to military. Every warfare, you know, just talking to people, like communication is a common denominator. I think the overall big picture was with my particular situations, the captain wanted to make sure that everybody, it wasn't like um, a smoke deck conversation or anything like that. Like it was coming from his mouth, mm -hmm. uh, what the information was. So in that aspect, I saw where initially I was kind of resistant towards it, but then later on I saw why uh, he decided to do that. So in the situation that you went into, it, it could have been the same thing too, just making sure that people are getting information. Cause you know, like anything, like a, a, a crew size is like about 300 people. You got like, 300 different things that could be going on. <laughs> yeah, I see what you're saying, but it just like, it just felt like babysitting, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah. And and I think overall it's, it's accountability. And uh, I think with the, in the military, with the job that we have on board ships, uh, we kind of get into those, those patterns of where, you know, you do your work and you kind of want to leave. Yeah. Uh, but then when you're in the civilian sector, it's like, I remember hearing stories of people like, they stayed there until like 15 or 1600. And they're like, man, what are you still doing here? Leave. Yeah. So they kind of had that military structure still. Uh, so I think it's more in a sense of structure thing, you know, to get people used to that. Cause once you get people used to leaving early, then they, that's kind of what the expectation yeah. is. Like, man, like, what are we still doing here? Uh, and, and I could, I, I could see it that way too, but let me, uh, let me counterpoint or um, let me, let me add to this. Um, yeah. At a certain point, the sailors are all professionals uh, mm -hmm. at a certain point, like, like they're dealing with multi-million dollar pieces of machine. They've been trained, they've been certified, they've been qualified. And you could tell a sailor, Hey, make sure so-and-so gets done. And you know, sailors, if you tell them they could leave early, they'll get it all done in 30 minutes. Yeah. But um, what I'm trying to get, get at is that, you know, being in the military that you're going to, you're going to make that six to eight month deployment pretty soon. Mm -hmm. And when they're on that six to eight month deployment, that's no family for, for six to eight months. There's a, you're working 12 to 18 hour, hours a day. What's wrong with um, import? You tell your sailors, Hey, this is what needs to get done. This is the, the, the maintenance that needs to be done. And then if you're done a uh, hour or two before the normal working hours, why can't they go home? Yeah, there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. Um, but I think the only thing is is, is uh, the incentive, right? Yeah. Um, so, like, what I used to do, too, is, uh, so, like, you know, obviously quarters is uh, muster and instruction and inspection, right? So, a big thing was uniforms. Like, on Fridays, if you had a, a good uniform during that inspection, like, you know, of course, if you didn't have duty or anything, yeah, like, we would uh, let you go. You know, that was kind of incentive for people to be uh, squared away, in a sense. Yeah. And, you know, kind of like that incentive, like, oh, yeah, I get to possibly get off on uh, Friday or whatever. So, you know, it's all different type of leaderships. You know, as many people as you have, everybody kind of does their own thing. Uh, but, yeah, I was a fan of, you know, doing that because, you know, uh, I was divorced at the time when I was on there. So I didn't have a family to go back home to. So to me, it's like I could stay there late. I didn't care. and that, But I didn't, have, like, hold that against uh, my division. You know, yeah. if stuff was done and needs to get done, then – 
you know, I let the first class know just as long as I knew about it. You know, that was the big thing is just knowing where your people are and what what's going on. And then I, I really do get that. Like, like if you let someone go an hour early, they're going to want to go an hour and a half early and then two hours early. Yeah. But what, why can't you recognize that? Like so-and-so sailor is fucking good at his job and he seems like he's squared away and I could trust them. And this isn't a civilian environment. And mm-hmm. in a couple of weeks, we're going to be on deployment or in a couple of months, we're going to deployment. Why not, why not try to get him into that deployment with like rested, motivated, extended working hours just adds to the disgruntledness and the, the resentness. Why is it so hard for the Navy to lock that down? Well, I think it's challenging. Um, and again, going back to the statement I made earlier about relationships, you know, you can't, we can't read minds. Um, you know, so part of that is getting to know the sailors uh, and having that uh, conversation where they can feel comfortable enough talking to you. Because if we don't know about it, you know, you don't know if that sailor is a scrunnel. Um, they'll probably talk to somebody else and say it, or you might see little things leading up to it. But, you know, with so many things going on, it's like, and I don't like using the ter- term lose, lose focus, but, you know, it's possible for some things like that to get lost in a mix when, you know, to mentally prepare yourself for something like that, to leave for your family for like six to eight months or even a year. Yeah. You know, so sometimes, you know, stuff like that does slip through the cracks, you know, and it just basically boils down to, you know, knowing your people and, you know, asking a question at quarters, like, you know, how are things tracking along as far as, you know, getting your stuff ready for your family when you leave, you know, finances, mm-hmm. car for single people, where they leave. So those, you know, checklists and sponsorship, you know, when I was even in the military, that was always a big thing, mentorship has gotten a lot better throughout the years. So, you know, just seeing where we can identify those problems early enough. So, you know, we know how to handle them because, you know, once you get that experience, it's like you already know, like people are going to have those problems, you know, uh, family issues, uh, personal issues with their cars and a multitude of like things that can come crashing down at once. So, you know, it's just through experience you get to know those things and ask those questions. How uh, invested <laughs> were you? Sorry. How invested were you in, in your sailors' lives? Like, um, you got to get to know them on, like, so, you, like, you kind of get it. Like, if you see them having a rough time, you kind of know what's going on because you, you kind of know about their life, what's going on. Maybe not too deep, but enough. But yeah, yeah, important. definitely, man. And, and, you know, one of the things, like, uh, when I was out in Hawaii, out there in the West Coast, man, like, I remember having divisional parties. Like, it was a quarterly thing that we did out there. Like, we would go to the beach or somebody's house. Mm-hmm. So it kind of just made that camaraderie like that much stronger, that unity much stronger. And we, I, when I got out to the East coast, like that was like, what you guys did, what, you know what I'm saying? So we didn't yeah. do that. So I, I always kind of wanted to build upon that and, you know, have that relationship and kind of see where people, you can kind of tell like, like people like work ethics, like how people work, you know, when something's kind of going to the side, like that indication that something could be wrong. So it's just a matter of just talking, you know, like, hey, is everything going all right? Like, what's up, man? Like, what's going on type of thing? You know, just making it from that approach and not really making it pushing to where it's like, man, you got to suck it up and this, that, and the other thing. Because then that's where people close off and they don't want to talk, you know, and that could lead to other problems. Did you take Did you take pride when your sailors, like, hit their own accomplishments, like promotions, ESWAS, uh, East stuff like that? Oh, yeah, that, that was uh, always – proud of that you know and that's always one of the first things i always put out man it's just like 
you know, to break up the monotony of things, I always told people, you know, have goals for yourself, you know, as far as like, you know, obviously us dealing with PQSs, uh, warfare qualifications, you know, work on all that's like, this is a time to do it. And yeah, each of those miles are milestones. And to see that and somebody else do that, it was definitely made me proud um, to see those more for them. You know, it wasn't really for the ship. It was more for them, you know, oh, so yeah, they can yeah, feel yeah. some sense of, of pride in themselves. Just, just cause I'm curious. Were, did you, did you ever receive thanks or, 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 or praise because of the, the like, I, I think, I don't know you as a chief, but I think you'd be, you'd make a great chief or I think you were a great chief. Oh, thank you. I appreciate that. Um, for some, yeah, like it was like after the fact, you know, a few people like, um, a few people like first class that made chief OS ones that, uh, were my LPOs that made chief. A few of them hit me up, you know, say, thank you. I had some uh, E5 sailors on the Normandy come back and say, thank you. Um, you know, just, and, and I never did my job for that. You know, I never yeah, yeah, yeah. was a person for a pat on the back or anything like that, yeah. but you know, to hear something like that, you know, it definitely meant a lot. Cause it, 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 it I, that's what I wanted to go there for is to make an, a positive impact. Yeah. And to definitely hear that feedback, definitely it was like I did something positive. And now to me, that's definitely an awesome experience to definitely hear that. It kind of like um, outshines a lot of like your personal milestones, you know, hear some feedback on what, what the job that you've done. Do you remember the, um, I don't know if it did or not, but was there a point in time where you made the switch from where your your naval career was about yourself to like you you were worried about your subordinates or the sailors below you? Uh, or maybe it's your neighbor career was always about yourself <laughs> the whole 20 years. So in a sense, it's, it's kind of, so this is how I kind of put it in my head. Um, we're essentially like our own walking resume in uh-huh. a sense. Right. Um, so I, I kind of took that approach like, uh, yeah, we're all one fight, but how am I going to stand out? from everybody else, you mm-hmm. know, in, in a kind of sense when it comes to advancements and um, evaluations in a sense. Um, so in that sense, I kind of like compartmentalize certain things where how do I stand out and how can I help out the team in a sense, you know what I'm saying? And from that aspect. So it was, it was never really a, honestly about myself. It was about making other people better. Yeah. Just to touch on leadership a little bit more. So my my real my first real sense of leader in a leadership position was when I was IA to a Gitmo, mm-hmm. and then I had this whole like this whole squad of personnel under me that I, like I got super lucky and I got into the position where I eventually became a leader. Yeah, and I, I was able to take not only like advice from like my mentors and and people that I perceived as good leaders, but I also learned what not to do from the bad ones. You know. Yeah, definitely. Were you pretty much doing the same thing? Yeah, well, you know, when, when leader, you're when you when you're filling out your leadership position. Well, like, you know, leadership, like honestly, like it comes in any form or any rank. Like honestly, you know, what I'm saying, I think when people look at a, a rank, yeah, you know, obviously there's leadership associated with that. Um, but it, you know, throughout my career, you know, I've always, like you said, kind of like uh, picked certain things or qualities I liked with certain people, what they did. And, you know, I saw the bad side of what people did. I was like, man, I don't want to do that. Yeah. So, yeah. I've always put different things in my toolbox and was like, this is how I'm going to go forward and, you know, do these things, you know, cause one of the things that when we, um, 
make rank, you know, there's always that line there that says, you know, you assume more responsibility. Yeah. <laughs> so, and that's what make going from E3 to E4, you know, so in those positions, uh, you know, it's kind of interesting now that you brought that up, you know, I, I wonder when people do make that rank, if they do think of themselves in a leadership position or not, or they just look at it, everybody else that's above them, you know, cause they are leaders in a sense, you know, E4. And then I didn't start thinking about that, but I was like in a, like a really difficult in Cuba. I was in like a really difficult uh, environment. Yeah. And like, like I really needed these people to be professionals and to trust me. And so like I developed, like, I want to say rules for my yeah. leadership position. Did you have any like rules in regards to how you were going to be a leader? So basic, basic stuff, man. And it's something that's probably been passed down from way before our time. And, you know, one thing I always told the sailors was the basic stuff, you know, be on time, mm-hmm. be where you got to be and be in the right uniform, you yeah. know, like the basics when it covers that. But yeah, that's some of the things, you know, I added throughout my career during that time. So yeah, there's definitely that as well. But those are like the basics. One, one of my personal rules that I think was very important to me was like I would never ask somebody that I wasn't willing to do myself yeah because I think um you get this in the navy a lot like they'll they'll get in like a leadership chief first class type of rule and then they think they're on easy street from that point on um and I think it's important that that the sailors beneath you understand that you've been through it and you're still willing to do all that all the sweeping, all the, you know, you've done it all. And then you're not afraid to do it again, but like. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I, and I think that's part of the conversation. I, and and um, part of that, and I recall specifically when I checked on board of Donald Cook, I had my uh, check-in with um, Mr. Velez at the time. He was the exo that I checked in with. And one of the sheets that he gave me, he actually gave me, I was an E5 at the time. He gave me a paper that was like, this is what your expectations are. Mm-hmm. It's like, and I think, you know, and that needs to go the other way too. Like those young sailors need to ask those questions. Like, Hey, like, what is your expectation of me? So they already know going forward, you know, cause a lot of them are just kind of like waiting to be told to do something. But if like that leadership is telling, okay, this is what I expect. Cause it's a bold question. No, nobody really asks that question. Like, what do you expect from me? Um, and once they throw it out there and, and somebody tells them like, Hey, this is what I expect you to do. It kind of like makes it clear um what needs to be done and then i got just one more and i had to talk about leadership with you because obviously because you're a chief thank you thank you um how do you combat the guys that for example like like the e4 e5 that was like they felt that they're being shitted on and then they're like they're the ones that are like man once i become a e6 e7 i'm gonna do the same exact shit that made me miserable and disgruntled. Like, how do you combat that mindset? Uh, you know what? So, you know, and, and I think you have experience in the yards too. The yards can be a very uh, tasking time, you know, personally on your division, on yourself. Cause you know, it's just, it's such a strenuous uh, time, you know, you're talking about months at a time you're, you're in this period. So when I actually went to the Normandy, they were in the yards and, um, you know, there were a top heavy E5. There was a lot of E5 in a division of like 26 people in there. So it was a pretty big division. And, uh, you know, when I first got there, I think a lot of people tell you this too, uh, going into like a leadership position and then stepping in as the uh, LCPO, 
you know, I kind of just stood back and observed the first few days, kind of see how things ran in division, seeing how people interact. Um, but one of the things, once, you know, they started getting more comfortable with me, they started talking to me about like, you know, there was kind of like a lot of infighting over stupid stuff, mm-hmm. you know, so the how I uh, combated that was just, you know, sat down and talked with them. And, you know, there were other times where later on, as I was there, same thing. I was like, hey, you guys need to get together and talk. And they was like, hey, chief, is it all right if we just, you know, you don't have to be here for this, but we want to sit down and just talk about this. And I was like, all right. So I, I left the room and like, let them talk, you know, because that, like, you know, I said earlier, bottom line is communication. And, you know, if you talk about things, you're putting it out there. So people know whether it's, you know, good or bad, you know, but now people know and can move forward from it. It's, you know, holding grudges against people. And like I said, there's, there's no hindrance. And not to say there's not going to be any hindrance after that, but it's like, you know, when you get something out and off your chest, it's such a relief. And that's kind of my approach to it was like, let them sort it out for themselves um, and see where it goes from there. And then step in if you need to step in. Exactly. Um, exactly. So I lied. I still have a couple more questions yep, yep. about leadership. But um, so I think it's tradition, like uh, when the first class becomes a chief, that they move that chief off of the boat because they don't want that familiarity or fraternization. Am I, is that what happened with you or am I correct on that? It, it varies. Uh, so when I made chief, there was actually two of us, OSC, two of us that made OSC. Yeah. Um, and we already had a, a chief on, on board, our LCPO. So there was actually three of us. Uh-huh. Um, so I actually got moved off the ship uh, from Surfland. That's why I got to go over to the Normandy. Okay. Uh, so it varies from place to place. You know, uh, my friend, he actually went LDO. He actually ended up staying there his whole term on there. Yeah. Um, so it, it just depends on where you're at and the needs um, of the Navy, essentially. So as you're, as, as we discussed, you're, as you're getting promoted and rising through the ranks of E4, E5, E6 to E7. Uh, and like I said, every promotion comes with more responsibilities and such. Mm-hmm. Uh, when, when you made E7 and they moved you off the boat to a new division and you're coming in as the chief, yeah. were you, did you feel like you're prepared for that leadership role or like were the promotions like structured in the way that like you were able to be a, the chief or was that a learning experience? Like were you, was it something that you weren't expecting and then you kind of grew into your role? Yeah. And the thing with the, the special thing about, you know, making chief, it's like, and when you look at it across the other branches, there's nothing like, you know, making chief in any other branch than there is in the Navy. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just, there's a level of expectation there's of you, you know, when people see the anchors, you know, it's, it's just right off the bat, like there's yeah. this expectation. Um, so I think everything leading up to that point, uh, prepared me for it, but you know, you're still scared, you know, still yeah. got those butterflies cause it, it's, it's a new command. It's like, you're essentially that go-to person. Uh, but I think as when I was, a uh, OS2, like I, I, during that time, I was already getting my mindset for that. Okay. Um, responsibility, you know, being that go-to person. So, you know, like, yeah, in some ways, yeah, I definitely was ready uh, uh-huh. to assume that position. So, yeah, and I was very grateful and fortunate, like I said earlier, to have that. Um, you don't have to go into detail, but like, 
when you're finally in that chief leadership position, did was there a scenario that you weren't complete that you weren't expecting that you had to deal with, like a personal issue with the sailor that you just didn't not see coming, or like or like a responsibility that was like, holy shit, I got to do this. Is there anything that you can recall? You don't have to go into detail if it's personal, but no, not really. Um, not anything serious. You yeah. know, there was, you know, DUIs within my division. Mm-hmm. Um, people that got transferred off the ship, uh, you know, PTSD issues. Mm-hmm. Um, but nothing like major, major, you know, like I was thankful enough to be in a mess to where I had people to help me with those yeah. things and how to address them. And I had a, g- a great chain of command, a great XO, um, Commander Palmer. I think he's still active duty, man. That was probably one of the best XOs, you know, I had the opportunity to work for. And it was like straight up like somebody that you could talk to, like on a personal level, like that was the type of re- uh, relationship you could have with him. And, um, but, you know, I, and like I said, I've, I've heard of other people having to deal with other things, but in, in my career, like I've never had to really deal with anything that I, I couldn't handle personally or get somebody to help me with. How annoying are DUIs? Oh man, they're, you know, so one story I'll, I'll tell real quick, man, was um, one of my OS1s actually got a DUI and like he just found out like shortly after that, that he was being picked up for chief. Oh. Um, so to see that man and to get to that point in your career, it was like disheartening. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Cause, and we all kind of say the same thing, like, man, like, you know, better to not do this. Um, so yeah, that was, man, like, like I said, very disheartening to have to have to see that and for him to have to experience that. So um, that is like, I can only imagine that's super unfortunate. Yeah. Um, did you see yourself? Uh, yeah, I could, I could get into this right now. Did you see yourself becoming a chief? And if so, how far along into your career did did that seem like a possibility? Uh, so, I, so seeing, uh, seeing yourself uh-huh. as a chief and wanting to be a chief are two different things. When did you, yeah. so, so did you see yourself as a chief and at what point in your career did that, did you see yourself as a, I think, a possibility? Yeah. I think once I made first class, I made first class on a Donald cook in uh, 2010 um, you know, so at that time I already spent being an E5, like I was an E5 for like almost five years, which is a really long time. Yeah. Um, so when I made first, that's kind of when I, the reality of it hit. Cause I, at that time, like, I think it was like, yeah, like my right on my 10 year mark or something like that, 10 or 11, 12 year mark where that decision time was coming. Like, am I going to get out or stay in? Okay. Um, so, but when I made first, I was like, all right, I'm committed the rest of the way. And like I said, once I made first class, that's kind of like where I started seeking myself, you know, be the chief, you know, cause you know, throughout your career, your, your part of your job is to assume the responsibility of somebody else. Like somebody's got to take over that job, you know, like everybody in the military is replaceable, you know what I'm saying? So yeah. it's like, how do I get that job? What do I need to do to get that job? All right. Now, all right. I'll, I'll switch back over to some more funner questions. What's the difference between an East Coast sailor and a West Coast sailor? Oh, man. You know, I got to experience both sides, man. Yeah, exactly. So when they say pineapple Navy, man, I tell you what, man. Hawaii was definitely that in the uh, late nineties, man. Cause when you, you talk about like, we were talking about earlier, like leaving at 12 o'clock, like that's what we did. You know, there, everything was done. Um, we left. And like I said, we had a uh, divisional parties. We would get to, you know, just have cookouts. 
Um, so yeah, then the East Coast was like totally like, man, like totally, totally different. It was like forward foot Navy and all this other, like it was like by the book uh, from my personal experience, like real, the real business. Not to say that the Pineapple Navy is all fun and games, you know, because we took, we handle our business yeah. out there on the West Coast as well. Um, but yeah, it's just totally different, man. When you come even California, it's a different experience compared to like Norfolk. Would you come, if you had the choice, would you come back to Norfolk? Or would you stay 20 years on the West Coast? You know, I, I've always <laughs> been a person that I've enjoyed different places. Oh, yeah. Uh, I got stuck out in Norfolk. If I had the opportunity to go back, I would go back. It would like that would have like definitely topped off uh, retirement. But then again, I made so many, you know, friends and met so many people the rest of the time that I was in the military out in Norfolk that I was like, you know, you just kind of like build that community where you're at. And this is kind of like that becomes your home in a sense. So, um, I I was only on the one ship, the Don Cook. That's where yep. me and you, you and I first met and served together. Yep. Um, I'll jump on the forums and, and I'll talk to different people and they all say that like how much they enjoyed or loved the Don Cook. Mm-hmm. What was, well, first of all, what was your experience with the Don Cook? Uh, so I got, like I said, I got there on deployment. I was, uh, October of 2005, um, you know, so deployment's like the best time to be on a ship, you know, because all that training and everything up to that point's already done. So you don't have to yeah. deal with that. Like you're actually doing your job out to sea. Uh, but the command at that time was like, for me personally, was like top notch, mm-hmm. you know, from the CO down, everybody was, it was, there was such, uh, like you, you could just sense the feeling of like you were at, at a good place. Yeah. You know, you felt safe. Um, you knew that people had your back. Um, but yeah, like that during that time, like when I first got to the first years on board, it was just an awesome experience overall. Um, like I said, I, I, I hate speaking on to that because I was obviously in my only ship. Yeah. And but I, I hear the same thing like on the forums and whatever, is that people like love love that ship, they love the people you did have the privilege of serving on multiple commands both shore and sea what made other than other than the uh the chain of command and that type of structure was there anything else that made the donald cook really that special like you could probably hear you could probably go to any other sailor and they'll say the oscar austin is was a dope ship or yeah not but like the way people speak about the donald cook even visitors that go on the Don Cook, they say there's, I, I, I just get a sense that there's more to it than just a good ship. Can you pinpoint anything that would justify that? Well, yeah, it's just kind of like, uh, so me being from New York, I'm a Yankees fan, of course. And in like the late nineties, when they got there, uh, started winning their championships, you know, one of the things you always heard was there's that mystique in the air. Yeah. And I think that's kind of the one of the things with the Donald Cook, there was just that mystique in the air. Like, you just knew you were like in a good place, you know? And, and I think one of the common denominators, which everybody will always talk about are, are just the people that are there. You know, it's always yeah. comes down to the people that are actually there at the command, man. And that, that always sticks out, man. And then like I said, it, I've been at other commands and you know, the Donald cook definitely does stand out. You know, I, I've been on other good ships too. Yeah. Uh, but as far as like relationship wise, like there's a lot of more people um, that I was able to, you know, build bonds with like lifetime bonds with, yeah. honestly. 
and they're like I, I know like we like we're involved in we had like a very core group of friends that which you were amongst yeah is, is that is that that strength between that core group of friends stronger than friendships that you made over other commands uh yeah in a sense you know because um you know on a donald cook when i got there as e5 like i was you know e5 is kind of what they call like the workhorse of the navy like so you really got to know everybody you know because first class kind of hung out with themselves so we kind of hung out with us or e4 or you know or below whatever the case may be um so yeah that was just always that but you know as i as i got a higher in rank you know the, the chief's mess there's guys that you know that i was very close with there too yeah but it's still that same thing but yeah definitely donald cook is just um that like you said core group and especially i hung out outside of my division obviously with you yeah. being an fc and me being an os so i've always enjoyed just um you know hanging out with other people you know because <laughs> one thing that i'll always remember that one of my friends told me is like man what his dad had told him was like the military, you'll definitely meet some characters, man, for sure. Oh, man. There's definitely characters in the military. <laughs> Real quick. Uh, I don't know how many diplomas were you on, but what, what were some of your favorite port visits? Uh, so port visits, actually my, so my first deployment that 98, 99 deployment, uh -huh. um, Hong Kong was amazing. Phuket town was amazing. Australia was a place I never thought I would go. Then that was actually my first, during my first deployment, and that was the last time I've ever been there. Um, but yeah, man, Australia was just a blast. That was during the time when they were getting set up for the 2000 Olympics. So uh -huh. Sydney was just beautiful. The people were really nice. Like, man, there was this one time we were just on Liberty, uh, me and my LPO were walking, and this guy just comes and picks us up and takes us around town and telling us about the history and all this other stuff, man. So it was like, that was a, definitely a nice port. Man, I just had that moment where, like, I knew I wanted to ask you something. Yeah. And now I can't think of it. <laughs> and so I'll just, uh, I'll just continue on. Maybe I'll, I'll think about it in, a, in a minute. Okay. Um, so let's take it back a little bit. And I'm assuming you had a, a normal four-year enlistment. Yes. Uh, so we're getting towards the end of that first enlistment. As you're getting ready to, you figure out. Am I going to do this one more time or am I getting out? What, what, what made you decide to stick it out? You know, so it's funny you say that because when you brought up my uh, first underway, like ever since my first underway up until I re-enlisted, my mind always changed. Yeah. So when I was in port, I was like, yeah, I could see myself doing this. When I was out to sea, I was like, I got to get out. Yeah. <laughs> so I think it was just, you know, besides at that time we were getting, we, uh, I got an SRB. Uh, during that time so that was a little bit of incentive to uh, stay in and the fact that I could actually I forget what the program was called but the fact that I could still stay in Hawaii uh, was another big thing too so those two things of money and being able to stay in Hawaii were like um, big factors in me re-enlisting. So you enjoyed Hawaii that much? I, I, I man I, I, there's people out there I still keep in touch with um, I was supposed to actually be out there in June but we had a cancel the trip, you know, with the whole uh, situation that's going on. And that would have been my first time in almost like, oof, I left there in June of 2003. Oh, sorry, June of 2005. So yeah, that long, it's been since I've been back. So yeah, culture, food, people loved it. That's crazy. Like, I just feel like just thinking about living in Hawaii, I feel like claustrophobic and, <laughs> and, and all that. What, what was it called? 
Rock fever, baby. Yeah, I, I've already feel that. I've never <laughs> been in Hawaii. Yeah. Um, say you didn't reenlist. Did you have like plans if you got out? So that that first enlistment, uh, no, it, it was my like I said, those two things. Once I had those locked, um, like there was, I wasn't really thinking about getting out at that mm-hmm. point. So now, what after your first reenlistment? Did you think that this was it, that this is going to be my career? Or, or were you, did you go through some of the same decision-makings on your second enlist, re-enlistment? Yeah, like even my second re-enlistment, um, uh, yeah, like I didn't, the, I didn't start thinking about getting out until, like I said, I made E6. So when I made first class, that was kind of like the, the turning point whether I was going to stay in or not. So if <laughs> I didn't make it, I was going to be like, all right, I'm going to get out. I was kind of scared at the time too. It's like, what the hell am I yeah. going to do now if I do get out? So I wasn't mentally preparing myself to get out if I did. So I kind of held myself back from that unknown portion of you know my life. So that kind of scared me from going out into the civilian sector. <laughs> so that kind of brings me on and to my next question, and and just bear with me a little bit. Yep. Um, when you were picking orders, did you always pick something? whatever was available that you wanted or did you settle for orders uh so up until up until actually my last duty station i was pretty much able to pick where i wanted to go uh-huh. uh now of course when i was in norfolk you know at that time that that's really what all they had at the time so i was like all right i was able to pick where i wanted to at least be at that time uh, yeah, so up until my last command, I, w- I actually had a voice in what where I wanted to go. Yeah, so I bring this up because this is one of the points that I've been hitting during these is that um like for for my personal scenario, mm-hmm. I reenlisted, and then I waited to the last minute. I was looking at orders. I was ready. I was ready to make it a career just like you. And then uh, when I was I was, when I was offered orders for my second reenlistment, there was absolutely uh, nothing that I wanted. And yeah. the detailer was, wouldn't work with me. He, he wouldn't do it. He, he was a former Don Cook sailor, by the way. Oh, geez. And, Makes and it worse. He and he didn't hook me up. Anyways, <laughs> uh, you spoke on fear about the unknown outside the military. And I, I was also scared, but I was 10 years in. And I figured that I was still young enough that I could make something happen if I were to get out. So yeah. what I'm basically asking that is, uh, can you offer any advice to that, to that sailor that's in that position where, where he's looking at orders, he's scared of the, the outside, but seeing the orders and the, the, the possibility of being unhappy, and that's definitely going to affect your output on the Navy how you how you look at things is there any sort of advice you could offer to a sailor at that part of his naval career uh yeah biggest thing is uh having a plan like actually talking about like each of those details okay so if you do decide to get out what do you want to do mm-hmm. do you want to go to school uh do you want to do a trade in, in something you know like what are your interests you know so kind of like s- spinning that wheel in a sense like asking those questions and then like, okay, well, if you go that route, know that you have to have this plan in place. And if you want to stay in the military, you have to have this plan in place. So that, that's one of the biggest, it's one of the easiest things to say, but it's like one of the hardest things too, because people don't actually yeah. do it. They don't really plan for that. Um, but just having a, a, 
an actual plan in place. So you do like, if I do get out, I'm, I'm going to use my GI bill, so on and so forth, or take a year off, you know, do something like that and travel if that's what you want to do. But as long as you're doing something and, you know, you're keeping that professional thing moving in your life to where you, you're moving something, doing something positive. So yeah, definitely. Yeah. Just have a plan in place. So, and, and Nick, the last, the, my last guest said the same exact thing. He, he was saying like, have a plan from the very first day. Yeah of your Navy, whether you're going to re-enlistment or, or you're getting out just like from day one, start thinking of your plan out really quickly. How, how long has it been since you retired? So I retired in uh, June of 2017. Chief ceremony and retirement ceremony. Was there one more special than the other? Oh man, you know, it's, it's um, <clears throat> so at both, I had my parents uh-huh. at both of them. And of course you are in re- my retirement. Yep. Uh, I think my retirement, of course, was uh, more emotional. Yeah. Because, um, you know, it's, um, you know, the, the old cliche, you know, you, you're closing a, a chapter of your life and getting ready to embark on, you know, something different. Um, so, yeah, they, they, they both kind of rank up there at, at the same level, man. Just like, and I said, the, both my parents both being there and, you know, being fortunate enough to have both my parents uh, still around and having them both see those milestones in my life was. Uh, yeah, that's pretty awesome. Definitely, yeah, it was definitely awesome. That made the experience like that much more um, special for me. I know you. Uh, how how has your how's your transition away from the military been? Uh, you know, so honestly, like the first uh, few months, honestly for me was it was kind of I'm not gonna say it was hard or difficult, but it was different. Um, you know, I, I had to get my mind right for that. You know, it was kind of a little bit sad in a sense, you know, just being away because it was just me and stuff. But once I got myself into a routine, um, you know, it kind of made that transition a little bit easier. And I actually took a year off after I retired and I I did some school, did a little bit of travel, Mm -hmm. um, you know, just to enjoy that and then get back into the workforce, you know, a year later after that. Um, But yeah, it was, it wasn't an easy transition to say at least like the the first few months uh, and just like anything that, you know, it becomes like kind of what we were talking about earlier where it just becomes those things we kind of remember, you know, initially coming in. Yeah. Um, it's, it's just, a, it was a different experience that I didn't really mentally prepare myself for. Um, I, I've been asking the other guys this question, but it kind of, it works for them because obviously they didn't make a whole career out of the, the military. Yeah. Like you're, you're basically institutionalized. Like, pretty much all you know is the military but did do you think the navy adequately prepared you for life after the military uh not really um it's kind of different because you are the navy you know what i'm saying and and yeah and so like it's it's kind of a different way of thinking about it yeah and i think a lot of those uh you know and this is just speaking for myself um you know, there, there are resources out there, you know, the old TAP program changed to GPS, which is goals, planning, and success. Um, and it, it didn't really change from what TAP was. It did change, kind of change the name. Um, but it, it was, um, honestly, I, I don't know, because even with GPS, you can go as many times as you want. You're not limited to just going there once. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I guess that individualized process, kind of like a guidance counselor, you kind of just want to sit with somebody and kind of see – you know, where your options go, like, where does your job really lead to in the civilian sector? And, you know, that's kind of what a lot of people think at that point, but they, in my situation, and I, I can say a, a good percentage of, 
they really don't start thinking about that stuff. So maybe a year, uh-huh. if they're at that point in their career where they're getting ready to retire, maybe where, Oh, now it's starting to hit them. Like I got to start doing something or thinking about something to make that transition. So unfortunately yeah. a lot of people wait like me to the last minute. Yeah. Um, just out of, for my personal curiosity, uh, what's it like working with civilians again or in the civilian environment? Um, so where I work now, it's actually, I still work for the Department of the Navy. Yeah. So a lot of the guy, people uh, there are like former veterans, or uh, former so military people. Okay. So yeah, it's an easy transition for me, thankfully. <laughs> <laughs> um, let me ask you this. What is your definition of success? Uh, man, you know, like honestly doing something that makes you happy. Yeah. Doing something you love, something you're really passionate about. Uh, you know, I, I've heard of uh, friends that have gotten into other careers where they wanted to do stuff and they're like, you know, I, I want to do this because it makes me happy, man. And I think that's defined success. I know a lot of people would uh, associate that with money, but money doesn't make you happy. You know what I'm saying? It's just uh-huh. your passion, doing what you love doing. And, I, and when I got out of the military, you know, I found passion in other things, you know, like photography and, yeah, you know, those kind of things. I've always been an artistic person, but I kind of like in a sense, kind of died out when I joined the military. <laughs> I just, I, I didn't do it anymore. And it wasn't until after like 20 years later, I, I picked it up and I enjoyed doing those things. Um, so this is kind of like a two-parter. Mm-hmm. Do you consider your military career successful? And do you feel successful overall, like at this stage of your life? Uh, yeah, I, de- I definitely do um, consider my military career success. You know, I, thankful that I made it out alive. <laughs> um, thank you for the people that I got to met during that time. You know, I think that's the biggest success is, you know, the people you keep in touch with afterwards, you know what I'm saying? That those bonds that you've created, you know, to me, that's like, you know, bigger than any other milestone in my career, you know, just the friendships that you build and camaraderie that you have. Um, so I, my life now is just, um, it's funny. Cause like after I retired, I, I thought about that. Like I wanted to do something that made me happy. Like I've done something for 20 years where that, like you said, institutionalized type of mentality to where it's In like service for yeah, something else. Let me do something for myself. And you know, the job that I have now, it's a job, you know, yeah. it's not, it's not a career like the military. Yeah, yeah. I don't consider it that, but uh, I guess I'm happy, you know, it provides the basics that I need. So <laughs> in that sense, yeah, you know, and I'm, you know, I'm glad enough to, to have a job, you know, and, and find a job. So, yeah. Well, let me, let me ask you this and then we could bring it back to where you, where you currently are right now. Um, yeah. Is, is success, is success like a single point like that you reach and then you feel good or is it changing? Like, you reach a certain point and then you move on to the next thing. Uh, yeah, it definitely is, man. Like everything up to this point is, is definitely a building block. Um, it's what you set for yourself. Like, you know, I've had, you know, the, the hardest thing is we're hard on ourselves. Like we can definitely talk ourselves out of doing things. Yeah. And I'm like, I do that to myself a lot. You know, I've talked to myself out of going to school out of, you know, the, the basic thing is fear. And I didn't, never thought I would go back into that type of environment. And thankfully I did. In uh, yeah. 2018, I threw myself into that environment and it wasn't as bad as I thought it was, you know, as long as you can set yourself like, you know, those short-term, long-term goals, like that's something that'll uh, never leave. As long as you, you got your eyes uh, pointed towards something and wanting to learn something, you know, that, that to me is, is success. You know, the fact that, you know, you're able to do something I've learned a lot of different things 
since retiring everything from like you know changing out outlets to light switches you know stuff like that that i've never in my career ever touched or dealt with but you know to me that was a milestone <laughs> awesome so i uh, and i understand that because like i think we both could agree that we could look at your naval career and and then you made the e7 you retired you got out um what i'm assuming healthy and 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 all that and now yeah. we're at this stage of your life uh do you have another goal that you want to reach and so you could say that's success or are you just kind of like just trying to find happiness or or whatnot uh, i think one of the biggest things i had this conversation a few years with somebody uh in washington actually um we were talking about like politics and stuff like that um and one of the things that she said to me is like you know being active in your community mm-hmm. uh and then i i've heard the same thing um uh, I can't remember this guy's name, uh, but he was pretty much, it's, it starts at home. So it starts from home, you know, it starts in your community. Then, it, you know, it branches out after that. So my whole thing is community involvement, man, like actually being part of the community, um, you know, in the neighborhood I live in now, like people came up and was like introduced themselves and it's like a homey, homey neighborhood. And I was like, man, that's really cool that people still do that. You know, I've had conversations with neighbors for like, anywhere from like 15 minutes to like an hour yesterday when I was talking to a lady across the street. Uh, but it's just being involved in the community, man. Like just, and you know, what's going on and being involved in like what's going on, like uh, politically, you know, and that, into that realm. So that's kind of like where I, I want to uh, start shifting my, um, my focus on as far as like reaching that next level of uh, our milestone in my career. So that's kind of where my eyes are focused on now. That's pretty awesome. Um, where, where, where was I going with this? How cool I am. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I forget. Once again, I forgot where I was going with it. Um, mm-hmm. So, so you've been out a little bit. You said you did, you did a little bit of traveling. Yeah. Traveling for vacation versus traveling on deployment. Yeah. Two different things, man. <laughs> two different things. Are you enjoying or have you gone anywhere? Have you, let me ask this. Have you revisited any? any place that you visited in the Navy? Uh, so cause of work, I actually got to go back to San Diego. I was in San Diego last June. And I, the first time I was in San Diego was like late nineties when I went out there for uh JTFX. Yeah. And to go back there like years later was just like, man, like it was cool to go back there. Cause you know, when you see different home ports, like Hawaii was very small. Like, the the port itself compared to like san diego it's a huge port so you see like carriers and all these other different type of flat uh platforms and you're just like your eyes are wide open and you're you're going through passing north island so it was definitely a different experience so I, to go back there you know it kind of when i was there i actually got to go back to i was actually went out there for a school and i walked the grounds and i was like man i was just like a e5 at the time when i was yeah. you know went out here back in 2000 or whatever so yeah it was that was like one of the places that I went to, but there's definitely a place I would love to go back to and um, revisit. I think, I think uh, you, sh- you definitely should like uh, me and Sabrina, we went and visited Barcelona Oh man! to vacation because that was one of the places we went, Spain. Yeah. My s- second deployment, I think. Mm-hmm. And I love that. I love Spain so much that I convinced her to go with me for a personal vacation. And that's awesome. It was the most relaxed I've been in years <laughs> yeah 
Um, you said that you're into photography. How into photo photography are you? Um, more so photography, it, it, it can go into like so many different things. I'm, yeah. I'm more of a, um, I love nature. I love taking pictures of like, just, it could be a, a tree. It could be a rock. Yeah. Uh, it could be, you know, like buildings. I love taking pictures of things like that. Um, but it's been a while since I actually picked up my camera. Like it's actually on the floor in my bedroom and I walk <laughs> by it all the time. But when I first got that camera, like everywhere I walked, I'd always have it with me and take pictures. And that's kind of one of the uh, uh, grateful things in my last uh, uh, command I was at, I was able to travel. So I got to travel to Spain. I got to travel to Bahrain. So everywhere I went, I would stick my camera because I knew that like, this is probably one of the last times you're going to see these places. Yeah. So in my, in my own thing, I kind of wanted to document these things, you know, because like you see places or things over there that you don't see over here. Yeah. You know, so there was a place over in uh, Bahrain over like an American alley. It was called like, what up, dog? Like, where the hell else do you <laughs> see something like that? <laughs> so, yeah, man. I remember seeing like this, um, like this sandwich shop or something called Fidel Castro. Oh, wow. In like Portugal or Spain or uh, on one deployment. Yeah, there's some some cool stuff you see. How uh, how into like the photography are you? Like, do you mess with the ISO settings, the apertures, and and all that? Uh, every now and then, like I'll I'll do practice shots, uh, and I'll kind of like adjust like the f stops and whatever yeah. other settings I'll mess with. Uh, but I still have like the standard eighteen fifty something whatever it is like yeah. lens. Uh, but every now and then, depending on the situation. My favorite, I love taking like black and white photos. Okay. Like those really stand out a lot to me. Um, but yeah, I'll have to send you some pictures that I took. I, I like sharing my stuff. Like I don't, I haven't like really put it out there, out there like that. Uh, but it's like, it's one of the things I definitely love to do. And, yeah, um, I think you should just throw it out there. Like, uh, like I collect action figures. Yeah. Photograph them. And it was really hard. Like I have, I have all these action figures and photographs that like i really enjoy but like i'm kind of like embarrassed to uh to show them but and then yeah. I, and i just made a folder on facebook and i just started throwing some of the pictures in there um um it's hard because i i, I read about photography i'm in I, i'm into photography as well okay and uh so i i'll like read about it and i I'll, i try to understand like the iso and apertures and and, and shutter speed and all that but mm -hmm. I don't practice enough that I forget it. And I end up having to reread what I supposedly learned. Yeah. And then, so, um, like macro photography or, or taking pictures of my action figures is pretty easy, but I also like, uh, taking pictures of my families and stuff while, while we're out and doing stuff. Yeah. But it takes me like 15 minutes to fuck with the settings enough to get like <laughs> a good picture. But when you take a good picture, it looks freaking amazing. Yeah, it does. And I usually try to like, if, if I'm going somewhere, I'll, I'll like snap just a random shot of something Yeah, and make adjustments right then and there. So I'm not really fiddling too much with the camera. Yeah. Now, if it's like a low light setting area or depending on where you're at indoors, you might have to mess with it a, a few times, but yeah, I kind of just go like, I've read some of the stuff on it, but I, I kind of just wing it in a sense, even though I should read the stuff, but I kind of <laughs> just wing it when it comes to I, I, photography. I, I'm a master of like, I know what I need to do and I'll just YouTube that's the yeah. thing that I do. Are you a Canon guy or a Nikon guy? I actually got a Canon, the uh, Canon Rebel. That's what I got. My mine is a Nikon. Okay, that was actually a gift to myself. Like 
two years ago, actually. Uh, that was actually a gift to myself. When I awesome. Was, yeah, it had to be for my second deployment. I think because I knew we were, was the second deployment, your first deployment with the Donald Cook, where we hit all the, the med crews, basically? That was my go? second deployment on the Donald Cook. Okay, so you were all with me on both of my tour, my deployments then. Yeah. Okay, so our, our second deployment with the Cook, I knew we were going to hit all these ports. So I think I bought that Nikon just for that cruise. Oh, my goodness. And that that was a rough one. That was a rough cruise. Yeah, was that the the med cruise? That was the med cruise. You know what's sad about that, man? I actually had a SD card that I lost from that deployment, man. And I'm, like, forever sad that I lost this thing, man. Like, I, I could – oh, my goodness. I have zero uh, – I have almost zero Navy photographs because um, because I, I always threw them on hard drives, like external hard drives, and the hard yeah. drives always break. Mm-hmm. Like I wish we had the cloud back when <laughs> we were going on all these deployments, and then I'd have those pictures forever. But I, I almost have no zero pictures of my time yeah. in the military. Wow. Um, I was yeah. going to say something real quick. Like the two things I remember – throughout my career and going back to boot camp, uh, one of the instructors had said like, when you guys go out, cause you can go out to see and see different places, like enjoy, enjoy where you're at. And that always stuck with me throughout my career. And then one of my friends that I met on my first ship on a Fletcher, he was a, a signalman, SM2 Yeruso. Uh, one of the things that he told me like, man, when we go to different places, like breathe, breathe in the air. Yeah. You know, when you're at these different places and like everywhere I've went, like I always remember that. And I, take that the few seconds you know breathe in where i'm at and i i I, it made that experience much more personal to me you know i'm saying and i was glad that i i took that on board and was able to at least document uh a lot of you know my career in in pictures um my second deployment i took i definitely took a lot more advantage of that mantra yeah and that was due to like i was hanging around with hampton if you remember him Yep, definitely do. And he was he was a super curious dude and, and he dragged me along to all these places and we, we did off the off the the off the trail stuff. Yeah. And, but yeah, and um I wish I wish I could I wish I could do the two deployments in my twenties and then redo them in my thirties <laughs> with my, my mind frame now because I I'd probably get more out of it now than I did when I was in my twenties. Yeah. Um, you sent me an email mm-hmm. and he said something about collecting hotel cards and bar coasters. <laughs> yes, sir. Do you still uh, do that? Yeah, man, I still do. Like, actually, I was uh, down in Florida last week for my kids' graduation and I keep the cards, I, I keep the hotel cards. What do you mean by hotel cards? Well, you know, the, the ones to open up the door, okay. So I, I, I usually take those and I kind of started off from my first deployment. I, when I first got in, I, I collected small things like it was either artwork yeah. or something that I could display. Eventually I kind of spun off into uh shot glasses. I got, I did the shot glass things. I yeah. on the shot glasses. Uh, Sabrina collects the do not disturb. Oh, really? From hotels. Oh, nice. <laughs> and then yeah. bar coasters would be another cool thing you have yeah you know and i got i got a lot of that stuff too but you know the, the thing is I, I i didn't label a lot of the stuff so I, I don't know where a lot of it comes from but i know i have have it <laughs> <laughs> and like what type of navy patches are we talking about 
So a lot of them were actually uh, command patches. Yeah, okay. Uh, I actually found, like, the hardest one to find that I actually got to find was one for my A school, the OSA school patch. So I actually found that. But I, the goal was I wanted to put that on my shadow uh, box. Yeah. And I also wanted to put it on the, the patch on, like, a flight jacket that I bought at the uh, Navy Exchange. I don't know okay. if I'll ever wear it, but I kind of that's kind of what, what, yeah. I, what I wanted to do. That stuff is kind of cheesy, I think. It is. Wearing. I like to have, like, I, I think I have, like, one pair of every uniform I've ever had, something like yeah. that, J- just to have. Uh, uh, the, the Navy Pika, obviously, I yeah. have the iconic Navy Pika. I'll never wear mm-hmm. that out in public, but it's kind of cool to have. Yeah. Uh, do you do the command coins as well? The oh, yeah, yeah. Coins? Yeah, especially, like, uh, when I made Chief, uh, I definitely collected a lot. The last few years I was there and at ATG because I was, you know, fortunate enough to go to different commands all the time. Oh, yeah, that's an your, awesome one. Your retirement yeah. coin? <laughs> yeah, so I'd always go to ships. I'd bring the, uh, the ones that I'd have from ATG, and I'd always trade them with other uh, chiefs within the mess. So, yeah, I do have my, uh, my, my, my rack. How big, how big did you get your shadow box? Uh, not too big. Not too um, big? No. Can you go like, through it really quick? What, what do you got in there? So what I got there, I have all the rockers from all the commands I've been to. Uh, I have all uh, the ranks up to to chief, uh, all my uh, uh, medals on there, my ESWAS, and all the commands that I've been to on uh, and the American flag is what I have on there. So there's some stuff I, I wanted to add, like I said, the patches uh, to it afterwards, but that's kind of like what I put in mind. Yeah. Did you get like a like a generic shadow box or did you have some – custom make it uh so i actually went through a guy down in norfolk who makes them and it, it's uh the the chief uh you know with the crow and the, yeah. the chevrons and all that other stuff and um in the middle of it he put uh the os um symbol in the middle which i thought was really cool on there yeah awesome yeah. and uh i think you also said that you're also sneakers are your new thing yeah, man. I, that's the whole thing with this. Uh, so at my job, I was teleworking two weeks at home and then going into work for two weeks. So during that downtime, man, yeah, like I was, I was fiddling around, uh, started buying sneakers. I didn't, I got like five pair now, but I, I kind of know my limit. I don't know because it can get really expensive. Um, but eventually I want to get like display boxes for them. And I guess when I get the basement done, you know, put them down there, like in, yeah basement eventually like how much of a sneakerhead are are you are are you wearing these or are they just for show just for show um i'm really not a sneakerhead but you know it's interesting like i've had a pair of two pair of jordans that my mother got me years ago yeah and i was never really into jordans or sneakers like that but it wasn't until like the whole uh jordan thing came out the documentary i I was like man, i know i got a pair of jordans somewhere they're brand new never wore them so I was like, oh, cool. That's kind of what got that whole thing jogging. So there was like a few Jordans that I got. Um, there's uh, LeBron's, the new ones that I got. And there's some Kyrie Irving shoes that I got, you know, because, yeah. you know, those are people that have definitely made a, a positive impact on the sport. So I kind of wanted to highlight that. Are you a big sports guy? I can't remember. Uh, I Well, again, it's kind of one of those things in the military where I love playing basketball and doing art stuff. But like once I joined, I kind of like stopped doing that throughout yeah um but i do love basketball that was kind of one of my favorite uh sports but professionally i don't really follow it as much 
Um, but when it comes on, like I'll, I'll watch a game. Like one of the last games I do recall watching was uh, Kobe Bryant's last game. Yeah. Like I actually remember that game. Like I was at home in my apartment down in Virginia Beach, and it was like came late because they were playing out in uh, L.A. And the game came over here. It was like already 9 or 10 o'clock at night. Like I was just getting into bed, and I was like, because I liked him as a player so much, I actually ended up going to A.J. Gators right up the block and watching his last game, man. And that was like <laughs> a very memorable experience. Awesome. Well, this is pretty much the end of the interview. Uh, is there anything else you want to share or any other memories that that you're fond of? No, just this right here, man. Like, this is what it's all about, you know, just uh, maintaining those relationships uh, like, you know, you're doing right now and just reaching out and, you know, just having the opportunity to, you know, you know, speak on, you know, this is like an icebreaker for every veteran that you meet is the fact that you served. Exactly. And, you know, like I said, I'm very grateful that I got to serve and, you know, that's being passed on to my, you know, my kids now because two of them want to go into the service, one for the Navy, one for the Marines. So, yeah, I, was, I forgot about that. Are you pro that decision? You know, it goes back to having that plan. You know, I, I was pushing more towards school, but yeah. if that's what they wanted to do, like I would support either either way that they went. So I'm all for it, you know, and just like any parent, you're going to be kind of nervous because you, you don't know, you kind of know what to expect because you, you've been through it yourself, but their own personal journey, their own personal experience is kind of like where they find themselves. And I'm hoping, you know, as parents, you know, you kind of talk to your kids enough to where when they're alone somewhere, they can make a smart decision and not yeah. let any outside influences, you know, make the decision for them. Yeah. Well, you hopefully you did a good job of raising them. Yes. We'll see. Uh, <laughs> I mean, you're a super uh, responsible dude and, I enjoyed catching up with you. Um, we we're not we do keep in touch, probably not as much as you would think, but more than most people, I would say. Yeah. So like, so I didn't know your deep personal history, but I knew that you're doing well, and I know that you're one of my my dearest friends. So like, it was it was super awesome. Like letting me listen to your decision. I think it's cool because like we both have this common experience, which is the Navy, but we came about it. We thought about it in totally different ways. And yeah. And, and so it's, it's fun talking about and, and then thinking about my own history, with the Navy and thinking about all those friendships I made. And I, yeah, I really, really enjoy doing this. Um, mm -hmm. Sabrina, she showed me a meme it was something along the lines of like podcasts are for yeah. men who, who just want to keep in touch with their friends. <laughs> and I was like, that's exactly true. Like I'm not the, uh, I'm not the person that'll pick up a phone and, and call, you know, old friend or shipmate just yeah. to catch up with them. So I think this is awesome. Not only for me to catch up with my friends, but uh, like, like we were talking about a way to record our story and yeah. maybe like, maybe somebody that's, that's going through what we went through when we were at the age where we were making these decisions, maybe help them along their decision-making if they, they choose to listen to this. So I, I appreciate you for uh, jumping on and, and speaking with me. Um, I really appreciate you talking about leadership and all that. That's something that I really wanted to talk about because mm -hmm. uh, I've only experienced it through the eyes of an E4, E5. And yeah. I really got to that point. So I appreciate you for speaking on, on, on all that. I do have a second podcast I'm working on. 
mm-hmm. and that's going to be more of a fun one where I get like groups of friends together. I, I don't have to be involved in the friendship, but but they just get together and, and tell sea stories. So like, oh man, I can't wait. So like, I, I assume, like you said, we've met some characters on the Dawn of Cook, and I, I look forward to uh, hopefully getting some of them together and, and just reliving some of these moments. But uh, thanks again, Oscar. Um, yeah. I hope we get to talk soon and sh- share more stories. I really want to tell the. <laughs> I already know what you're going to say. <laughs> yeah, um, we had, definitely, man. And, and definitely like, and one, the other thing to add to that too, like we were roommates too for a few months. Yeah. Um, I was going to say, I guess Joe, Joe, our the third roommate is the one that offered. How did that come really quickly? How did that come about? This will be a preview for the, the, the uh, so second yeah. podcast. I got kicked out of my other apartment. I was living over at, um, off a of little Creek over at that apartment. And the, the roommate I was rooming with was uh, Connor and we ended up getting kicked out of the apartment. So I was like, I think it was a conversation on a table. I was talking, I think, I don't know if you were there, but I think Joe was there and my definitely was not there. And they came up. I was like, yeah, man, I just got kicked out of my apartment. They're like, Hey man, well we got a room if you want to go. Cause I think, uh, what you mentioned earlier, Hampton was even Hampton in the apartment. Yeah. So it was just, I guess, the timing. Everything just happened to work out, man. So that's, so that's that, all came about. <laughs> that, that apartment and those roommates, they were notorious for, like, there was someone always sleeping on – it was like that apartment where there was someone always sleeping on the Uh-oh. couch. And, and I think that's how I met Doherty. Mm-hmm. He just, I just walked out of my room, and he was sleeping on the couch. <laughs> and so, so when you moved in, I was like, all right, I guess, I guess this is what's happening. Like, I didn't yep. care. A communal place <laughs> but uh, all right uh, we'll, we'll end with that yeah definitely and thank you for having me on man i appreciate it and you're doing good things with this man i really hope uh i know everything's gonna work out man definitely is gonna work out this is awesome thank you yeah, for the opportunity is, this is super exciting I, i'm i'm enjoying it so far but all right thanks oscar